Welcome to the Beyond Barriers podcast. When women lead, share performance and profits go up 50%. Results are more powerful when everyone is empowered. This is the insight that brought the four founders of Beyond Barriers together. We came from a diverse set of leadership backgrounds with a common goal, to close the gender gap at work and expand economic opportunities for everyone. Tune in each week as one of us interviews inspiring guests who share stories and cutting edge strategies that will help you learn what helped them go further faster. Reduce the friction that prevents you from being a good person, which is to say, whatever you know is gonna help you. For me, it's yoga, I do yoga, Pilates, or some sort of physical activity. That for me is quite grounding. Once you're centered in that, it just makes the rest of the world seem calmer. If you don't come up with a good mechanism to manage that stress, it consumes you. And then you become a person you don't wanna be which is either angry, frustrated, or you're not available for your kids or your family or whatever that looks like. Because in the absence of doing that, you're not available for anybody else and you can't be strategic and you ultimately can't be as uh, strong of an employee if you're not doing those things. Welcome to today's insightful conversation with Tamara Zykowski, Chief Digital Officer at Acrisure. I'm your host, Brooke Skinner Ricketts. Tamara is a self-proclaimed curious soul fueled by the pursuit of knowledge and self-empowerment. She has successfully integrated creativity and efficiency into her professional life by using knowledge as currency for decision-making. In this episode, discover valuable tips on managing stress to drive personal growth and achievement while embracing the art of being fully present every day. Whether you're a seasoned professional or aspiring to become one, this episode is packed with insightful advice. Visit GoBeyondBarriers.com, where you will find show notes and links to all of the resources in this episode, including the best ways to get in touch with our special guest. Let's dive right in. If you can just tell me your name and your title, and if you could just share a little bit of the story that we won't read on your LinkedIn and one or two of the lessons that, that have guided you on your journey. So Tamara Zykowski, I am the Chief Digital Officer at Acresher. I grew up on a farm who I've become was very much instilled at those early age. <laughs> Mainly is like, you have to work. There's no option of not essentially focusing on being able to take care of the animals. And there's many things that break when you're on a farm. It is for rural farms. So there's no options around getting something fixed. So you become inherently more resourceful. And I think it, it creates a framework and a projection of how you think about the world and problem solving in general. I think it was probably the basis of, of how I've evolved and then I ultimately went to school and really much gravitated towards the sciences, math and science, really. And I think that has been the underpinning of how I also leverage the tools of how I do things. Uh, so I'm very much data-driven. I'm very, in terms of the way I problem solve is pretty methodical based on basically going through the practices of any of the science disciplines, mine is particularly in chemical engineering. And so I think that methodology and that functionality is really transcended throughout my career as well. But yeah, so starting in the biotech and, and pharmaceutical space, pivoted through that, really started to do uh, epidemiology. I worked for the UN in Western Africa, and that experience was phenomenal. It also helped me realize some of the limitations of data <laughs> and the ability to capture data. So I always feel like I'm very thoughtful around that those pieces, mainly because if you're thinking about an underdeveloped country, 
They tend to not have vast amounts of transaction data. And basically, you're trying to track viruses and activity by talking to people in villages. It's a very different data capture than going at the local transaction system and pulling all the data and being able to get a leverage that. So I feel that also helped me be pretty creative in the way I design and think about data historically. After that experience, I came home. And then realized uh, I was very much altruistic uh, early on, mainly because I just wanted to save the world. I feel like most people coming out of college probably have that desire. Uh, I quickly realized there's an ecosystem and a power structure that is beyond just like your heart and your desire. So I was more uh, fascinated and interested in trying to better understand that space. I had, like my sister was in finance and a few other people in my family were, but I did I basically pivoted into finance, trying to better understand the world and understanding how like money flows and what are the power structure and what it's look like. So I went back to school to get a finance degree and then ultimately uh, started working in a finance company and private equity and, and venture capital that invested in biotech and pharma. So I understood the product, but not necessarily the finance behind that. So that's why I went back to school to get educated on that piece. And then took that into a variety of different kind of financial institutions, uh, mainly purely based on my curiosity of like learning. And they all had a natural um, kind of either relationship or connection. So it evolved pretty quickly. Um, ended up in retail banking. I spent a decent amount of eight years, I think, at Santander Bank and ultimately navigated that world. International bank, also understanding kind of retail space, which is more consumer facing than I had been historically. So that was more that dynamic and interest. And then I've uh, ended up in Acrisure and Acrisure is basically a very large conglomeration of brokerage firms, uh, as well as uh, additional business lines. So it's, um, they have a great strategy as it relates to M&A uh, and they certainly are super thoughtful around their technology. So uh, having those two pieces are actually quite aligned to A, how I've experienced in my career, but also being able to think through how do you pivot an industry that I would say is historically, well, continues to be quite risk adverse. So that typically prevents change from occurring and also limits uh, limits some of the creativity and sort of innovation that occurs in that space. So we've we're, we're balancing the evolution uh, of the industry as we kind of design and redesign this organization and, and evolve in the future. So it's been an amazing run. I've been there for about a year and a half now, and, and there's plenty more to do. So I expect I'll be here for quite some time. Tell me about Tamara as a person. What kind of person are you? So I have this, what I think is fairly unique. At least I'm, I feel like I haven't had that many people who necessarily, I, I feel like I are, are say the same things or understand it in the same way. I am very much driven for efficiency and kind of really around, I optimize my life and my children. I'm sure a lot of people around like, we're going to have this schedule. It's going to be like this specific around routines in my work and in my life, et cetera. So I very much thrive in that space, but it's only to create space to be more creative. My actual DNA is quite creative. And the way I think about things, the way I design things is I know that I inherently needs space in order to make that happen. So I become highly efficient with things that are redundant or consistent at least. And then I try to create that those opportunities to be more free and open because A, I know myself well enough. I actually did this test when I first got into business school and they looked at your motivations. 
intrinsic versus extrinsic. And everybody was like one side or the other. And I was like a 50-50 split. And so they were like, it's very rare. No one ever comes up with that. And I was like, did I do the test wrong? Should we reanalyze this? He was like, no, it just is very clear that you have two kinds of motivators, which is great because you're highly motivated and easily motivated. You just had to figure out how to manage it. And, and that, I think, was integral to me better understanding not only myself, but other people. So it transcends into how I think about leading teams because I may be motivated by a certain thing that they may not be. And it's important that you understand people's motivation for me because it's the thing that drives them that it's not, that's innate to them. And it allows you to essentially plug into their existing energy and allow them to elevate. If you go with what you think is important or even what the company thinks is important, it loses its ultimate value, I find, that you find things that inherently brings them more energy and it's also beneficial for the organization. You're it, it's a self-propelling kind of engine that you don't have to constantly be like, are you doing this? Or, I mean, it ultimately guides itself. And so to me, the way I think about things, um, I would say very engineering, like framework perspectives helps me analyze and dissect problems, but it also helps me relate to people um, and sort of like be able to, to drive a lot of that connectivity to, to hopefully make people more energized to do the things that we know we need to do. Yeah. No, I I, I think it, it's so true that like art enables science and science enables art, but it's, it, it is pretty rare to meet someone who is truly creative, who is able to leverage the <laughs> sort of scientific method to create, because you're right, I, I grew up as a creative strategist and we always said strategic certainty enables creative possibility. Because if you give me a box this, this um, narrow, I can go super deep, right? Versus asking yeah. me to across. And so what a gift to be able to have both, right? So that you can actually create, because most creative people struggle with the organization piece. And so then they're just constantly overwhelmed and don't have enough space. So that that's that's incredible that that you're able to do both. And and it sounds like also share that with the teams that you work with, which, which yeah. is just kind of... Well, I think it's really nice just on a very human level. You just have an ability to relate to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways in how they think about things. The only challenge I've ever found is finding people who don't have a lot of motivation. So those are the events. I still am trying to like rally around that concept. But I would say anybody, if you have any motivation whatsoever, I usually can understand it to a point that I feel like we can relate. Got it. Got it. Okay. So it sounds like you're easily motivated. And we talked about your sort of persistent pursuit of like really big challenges. Can you physically, can you talk about that and how that's been a driver for you and, and what that, what that represents for you? Yeah. I think there's two things. One, it's again, tapping into my own motivation and that if the challenge isn't big enough, it doesn't like turn on the motivation. That light doesn't trigger and I, I am probably like the average person. I'm like, oh, it's interesting, but like, it's not really getting me up and, and encouraging me to, to think more uh, differently or, or creatively. And so it, it has to be big enough. And I say big enough and like complex. It could still be a very small problem, being like nobody knows about it, or it doesn't have to be public. It's much more about the complexity that I find fascinating. And I think those are the dynamics that ultimately drive me to pursue and, and I was involved in that space. But I think restructuring as a concept, and it can have a negative connotation ultimately because people are like, 
there's a history in the 1980s of just gutting companies. And that's not, I think, the, the, the way I think about it. A lot of it is, in essence, optimizing people, organizations, operations, technology to be more efficient, to again, enable greater prosperity. You're being more creative. You can think about more of what the industry is doing, the market, how do you evolve? And if you don't have that sound foundation, you're, it limits you for that potential. And so the, the complexity of the problem and the ability to see the future are the things that drive me. That said, I feel like there's also an understanding of kind of the ecosystem you live in and the success factors that are out there. So I used to always be like endlessly curious. I'd figure things out. We'd come up with a solution and then you test it and move forward. What I've also realized is there's a larger like solution packet out there. And, and if your CEO isn't aligned or the market isn't ready or whatever that macro elements are that exists, it can prevent you from being successful. So it's also important to not only get to a depth of knowledge of understanding of the problem, but also see where it fits in the world at this point in time, which it can evolve and it can be maybe five years earlier it would be more successful. But I think not understanding that piece can limit you from being successful, which ultimately perpetuates you to the next job, the next opportunity. And so being thoughtful around how it all fits together is helpful because otherwise and maybe either not to this or fail, but ultimately not be able to do that next thing because you hadn't thought about the larger context of, of the success of the, the outcome, basically. I think also like without that broader context, it's more frustrating when a beautiful idea doesn't take hold. Like the personalization of that idea that I've gotten over. I used to really feel very connected to it. And now it's just optimizing the solution. And which usually evolves, and it usually comes from eight different people as opposed to an individual's idea. But yeah, there used to be like a bit of a pain of, oh, it's this is my idea, or this is something that I worked so hard for. It's, well, we all work very hard for many things. Sometimes they fail, and sometimes they win. So you've got to have the ability to to recognize beyond just that piece of it. So that I've evolved really? on significantly. Did you always have a sense that you would be a leader? No, honestly. I was a super shy kid and to the point where I this my mom, I remember telling me at a very young age, she was like, you can't be shy because it's just, like people see you as being rude. So basically I was forced at a very young age to overcome it tactically because she was like, it's inappropriate that you not talk to people. And I was like, okay. But I would say I'm a pretty shy person and I have had to overcome a lot being leading large teams and being in public forums and it's not a natural space for me by any stretch. And so I have, and I enjoy the challenge of it all, but I wouldn't say I thought I would be a, a leader at a young age. What was the thing that really compelled you into leadership? It's funny because I think it goes back to my altruistic beliefs. It's with the intent. So I, I grew up, like I said, I had uh, horses and I lived on this farm and my, at a very early age, had a sense of responsibility and accountability for them and their lives. Mm-hmm. And I genuinely feel that way for my team. And I think for me, it was always about if I can take care of them and and do the right thing, we can all essentially prosper and do well. It's, when you get to very large teams, you don't know everybody at the level of intimacy, you know, the people that work directly with you. But there's a, a desire to have that great good out there. It's how we treat each other in the organization that allows for that customer service and that connectivity. 
And if we don't treat each other in the same respect, we'll never expect that we could ever have anything beyond that kind of uh, ecosystem. And so to me, it's just really important that I do right by my team uh, and I show up every day and I work really hard because it's my job to take care of them and it expands in different ways. It, it's more about being there for who they need, not necessarily who I am. Being able to pull those things together is why I enjoy being a leader. I've had to evolve into my natural leadership style, which is much more collaborative. I enjoy having collaboration and people having different opinions and challenging me because ultimately you have a better idea and a better concept. So you're someone who has taken on many great physical challenges like marathons and climbing mountains. One, why do you do it? And then two, how do you psych yourself up for something that you've never done before? I have, um, I've run marathons. I've done the Boston Marathon. There's a Marine Corps Marathon in D.C. There's one in Disney. I've actually won Switzerland, run up basically the Swiss Alps. I miscalculated on that one. I'll be honest with you. I didn't realize <laughs> A, that it was up the mountain and B, that like the altitude implications. I've done, uh, I did Pan Mass this summer, which is a 200 mile bike race from basically Western Mass to, to Provincetown uh, over two days, which is pretty cool. I've hiked Kilimanjaro, which is a, you know, for a, it's an extensive hike, but it's not overly technical. So I think that the things that I sign up for and why I sign up for them are. Two reasons. One, I genuinely like to give back. I like to be able to find a way to make my effort and probably uh, extensive energy be beneficial for others. So I'm trying to like uh, capitalize on that. In addition to, there's a personal element for me of, I don't know if this is a function of my brain. I probably should sit down and think about this more, but it, I forget about any accomplishments I've had because I don't sit around and think about them. And so every day I always feel like I really got to push myself to do something new and different to remind myself of the capabilities of doing those things. And I think it's been interesting throughout my life because there's always moments I, you carry insecurities and it reminds me you are strong, you are capable, there's many things you can do. And I think for me as a mother too, I was pretty strong and independent most of my life. I had kids and I was like, you don't know what you're doing, basically. <laughs> but once they're stable, can eat on their own and basically have a little bit more uh, functionality in their lives, you can take on and do more of that. And so I realized like that is who I am. I like to push myself. It's still important, I think, to, to connect in that way with yourself. And a physical challenge, like the actual act of moving is a it just helps you accomplish that. And it makes it so apparent. It's like building a house. Like it's a physical thing that you can see and taste and feel. And that the high continues to be what perpetuates the uh, desire to keep wanting to, to keep doing these things. Because I think if people look at what I've done, they're like, wow, you're very adventurous. But the reality is I'm, I have plenty of fear. There's plenty of times I'm like, there is no chance that I'll ever accomplish this. And I just like, I like to create enough fear in my life that keeps me pursuing without overwhelming me. What if you knew exactly where to focus to go further, faster? Imagine having clarity on your strengths and barriers and the ability to take action and gain unstoppable momentum to deliver results in advance. Take the Beyond Barriers Momentum Metric Quiz to get a personalized report on the five C's, core categories used to measure and accelerate success. Visit gobeyondbarriers.com slash quiz to get your report today. We talk a lot about limiting beliefs with our community. 
most people like just to walk up to the limiting belief is the challenge. But what I hear you saying is your way to to push through limiting beliefs is I'm going to test my limits. And it's a unique approach. And I love it. How do you how have you cultivated that resilience? The whole concept of falling off a horse and getting back on. So there's a physical reaction. Your body comes from falling six feet onto the ground and you're usually traumatizing to some extent and you're can't really move, but you're like, all right, I got to get back on. It started for me fairly young in the sense that I was fearful. I wanted to make sure that the next time I got on a horse, it was less fearful. So I, it was easy for me to get back on. And even if you just do something simple, which is just walk around and don't do anything that would cause more fear, it at least allows you to get through the feeling of fear and realizing you'll be okay on the other side. So I think, and it, Resilience is such a part of the way I think about raising my kids now because they're not growing up on the farm. They're living in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is pretty cushy, I might add. And so I'm always trying to find things to challenge them to build their resilience. And, and this is like an element that we physically don't live on a farm, so it's just harder to replicate. But the more I think that you can create the it's stresses in one's life, but it's achievable stresses, I think are the key pieces to it. And so establishing that as a young age, I think is helpful. And as you mature and and your life takes on more responsibility and accountability, those stresses change and they evolve. And so it's not necessarily about getting back on the horse, but it's being able to see the end state or the opportunity. And so a mind shift that I had pretty early on, because I had a sense that I had to be perfect. And particularly when you're an only woman in the room or in a company or a leadership position, you have this sense of I've got to be everything for everybody, because if I don't, then the women behind me will not have the same opportunity. So you're leading this charge. But what is, it limits you in because you hold back. And when you hold back, you're not your authentic self. You don't do the things that make sense because that fear does limit your mental capacity. So the mental shift that I had, I would say probably the last decade, is that everything is a learning opportunity. So even if I failed, I learned something. So if my currency is knowledge, then I've always acquired something and nothing is a waste. So that fear is dissipated because I ultimately have this perspective that I will always learn something. So quite frankly, I've gained. And so even your failures and the things that you clearly like, I should not have said that or I should not have written that email is a learning opportunity. And the reality is it often it opens itself up for more opportunities because you can fix it. So -hmm. you create a problem. It's your job to fix it. And the fixing it and the journey of that is more interesting dynamic and and, uh, creative solutioning than maybe even the original problem because usually it entails people and feelings and and those are important and things you've got to take into account to kind of progress. There's always this underpinning of fear of failure, fear of everything particularly as a mother, I feel like you accumulate more of those fears. But the reality is you show up and you take the first step and you do what you can and ultimately and have a belief system that the world is there to support you and the people around you are, are equally as cheerleading or are at least aware. And I'll tell you, that's a bad idea. If, if you have the confidence and the trust in yourself and your abilities to deal with any failures, it gives you a lot more confidence to make those leaps because you ultimately know that it'll end up all right in the end. What are some examples of what got you here and then what you believe is going to get you to the next phase of, of you? I was very independent, worked very hard and analytical and by design, very focused on problems and solutioning. 
and, and doing work, like physically doing work. So I think that worked out very well. I had a high quality of work and I did it consistently and people appreciated it. And that gets you more opportunities to do more things. As you evolve into leadership positions, obviously you're less, it's less about you and the work you do and more about the work they do. And so the inspiration and connectivity with people and, and being able to relate to them. Early on, I felt like I was much more of a traditional leader where I was like, we talked about things, they went off and did stuff, we came back, we reviewed it. And it became, and it was still like, I still could drive good quality because I knew I reviewed a lot of what they did and there was a lot of <laughs> checks and balances, but it wasn't necessarily optimizing the team. And so I think what I've really evolved to over the last five years is just the more you know yourself and to show up every day, not with a clean slate, but an honest slate, meaning you've got things like you've had a bad day, you didn't have a good night's sleep, whatever the case may be, like own your stuff. When you can own your stuff, you allow the freedom for other people to have their stuff. And sometimes some of the, like the first five minutes of a conversation is them downloading you on all the crappy things that happened that day. And you're like, I get it. And then you, you move on and, and can have conversations about what do we need to do? But I think what has changed in Pivot to me is it's not, it's much more about my ability to be able to manage myself, my, not even emotions, because I'm pretty even keel, but the things that I show up with and my biases and the way I think about things, the more I know and understand myself, the easier it is to relate to other people. It also allows me to be more authentic and people feel can connect to that. And so I think moving out of a, what could have been perceived as a very methodical methodology of how I approach things, you have to soften and warm to people so that you can ultimately get more connectivity with them, which ultimately provides more information. And as a leader, the more information you have, whether it's good, bad, different, right? You now are armed to make better decisions and you're more strategic. That's great. I got early on, I got um, feedback that my team wanted more of me. And I thought, I thought it meant they wanted me to work more. And I couldn't imagine how I could possibly work more because I was like working a million hours a week. Yeah. And I was talking a friend about and she's no dummy they don't want you to work more they want more of you at work right like, show up and share and like really connect with them and so i think it's such an important piece of the puzzle i think it's underrated it's not like something that's going to show up in your performance review it, it comes through in feedback right but right but it's not necessarily like a promotable piece but it's such a it's such a critical unlock right that, that it just it unlocks a lot more potential within a team right it's definitely not a linear connection i create time in my schedule to connect with people and do things that are much more casual because my inherent nature is to be very efficient. And so if you don't create that space, not only for them, but for yourself, you never get able to optimize. And I think that is the pivotal change that I've had is to create space for my mind to put the pieces together because that is truly what my job is. And if I don't create the space, if I don't do something that allows for my mind to put the pieces together, I'm not doing my job, which is very different than what I would typically do, which is here's the to-do list. Let's do the to-do list. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I think, I mean, I think framing it as part of your job is a, is a really important framing for so many people. Cause so many people think it's well, my, my job is the task list, but the reality is like the task list is eternal and it will always be there. Right. And it's about taking that time. And like you said, making that space and sometimes making that space doesn't look like something done on a computer, right. Or, or even, even on a piece of paper. So that's, that's so valuable. How do you stay grounded? How do you stay connected? Yeah, I even call it my public service. Yoga is my public service because like, it relates back to showing up as honestly as you can and just like being able to manage your own life. Like I have my own life, my own stresses that are outside of work. And so I think I think being able to have a routine, I, I like to say reduce the number, of, reduce the friction that prevents you from being a good person, which is to say whatever you know is going to help you. For me, it's yoga. I do yoga, Pilates or some sort of physical activity. Uh, and, and I think that for me is quite grounding. So for me, I think finding a routine that gets you feeling whole. And I think one, once you're centered in that, it just makes the rest of the world seem calmer. And so if you don't come up with a good mechanism to manage the stress, it consumes you. And then you become a person you don't want to be which is either angry, frustrated, or you're not available for your kids or your family or whatever that looks like. And I think you've got to be able to, to see the value of that piece in order to ensure that it becomes a routine of your day or part of your day. Because in the absence of doing that, you're not available for anybody else and you can't be strategic and you ultimately can't be as uh, strong of an employee if you're not doing those things. Tell me about strategic and powerful relationships like mentors, sponsors. Tell me how you've approached and leveraged your network world. Yeah, I don't know if this is just how it inherently came to be or this is how I would even recommend doing it. But I feel like there's always a give and take in any relationship and not that you have to have equal parity or whatever. It's more, I like to give things to make me feel like it's okay for you to give me something back. So oftentimes in any of my mentorship or relationships, with people who I thought had more information or knowledge or capabilities, I would always find a way that I could provide value to them. And so, and it can span a variety of different things, meaning like physically, like doing something for them or ultimately being like, oh, there's a project that you're associated with. I think we need to look at this angle and I'll go do the research and come back to you and say, what do you think about this? So I think for me, being able to to provide some level of service or some work or have doing something makes it feel makes the asking for help much easier. I think establishing that it's a beneficial relationship for everybody is helpful. I also find just treating everybody with the same level of respect is the best thing. Tell me a little bit about this job and Akrashur and, and what one like why you're here and to yeah. what what you appreciate and why this feels like home for, for you. Yes, there's so many dynamics that make it feel like home. So hopefully I dissect it in a way that's you know tangible. One is I have, I think, again, growing up in the way I grew up, I had this sense of, I had an old-fashionedness, but the way in which I think about business and interaction and relationships is very kind of do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, as opposed to this more strategic dynamic of not wheeling and dealing. It can get lose the relationship connection. So I think I, I am bed rooted in that. And so it has an insurance tends, I guess, as well, mainly because it's a brokerage firm, they, the ability to have that relationship and that trusted advisor and that connectivity is very much who I am. And I understand that and I relate to it. 
So running businesses that truly help people, there's a purpose there and I get it and I, I could buy into that. So they have the foundation of that. They have the need in terms of the industry regarding evolution. So the it's a risk adverse industry and is complexity. So those two things tend to, to prevent a lot of innovation and progression because it's inherent that it's hard to change. It's hard to evolve. And, and there's no reason unless you've really got people who want to drive that change. And so the, the, where the organization, where the, I would say the industry is right now and the organization is like, it, it lends itself to being right for transformation and evolution. Uh, and so those to me are like the key pieces because they're complex problems. And they certainly have a lot of work and dynamic to it. And so adding that strategic layer and certainly helps. And then the other big piece of what I mentioned before on success factors, for me, I've worked in organizations that the leadership didn't truly understand either the transformation that needed to happen or how much the timeline, so the urgency around it. And this is not the scenario here. <laughs> it's almost like on overdrive. So I'm usually the one pushing from behind. We're going to get this done, guys. It's going to be great. Um, and instead, we have a CEO who is really dialed up and really focused on driving technology, ensuring that we're doing the right things for our customers and clients. And I would say is very progressive in the way that they were thinking, not just, oh, let's put in some automation and make it more operationally efficient. It's much more about like, how do we drive using leveraging AI and ensuring that we're considerate of not only the technology that needs to be established to make it more streamlined for a consumer, but how do we get more sophisticated around what we offer them? How do we align it to their profile as it relates to a digital consumer versus someone who wants to talk to an agent or uh, runs a certain type of business? And we have, well, obviously a massive database uh, of similar customers with you know, potentially similar policies. And so how do we essentially align their profiles and make it easier? And it's, it's basically looking at how do we solve problems much more strategically than not only just the industry has done it, but overall collectively large corporations and, and not being pigeonholed or stuck in a certain way uh, of like, all right, well, this is the next step for technology. But no, we can take five, six, 10 steps ahead because we've either seen it in another industry or we're progressive enough in the way that we think about some of these solutions that we can pull in all the pieces and, and make sure it makes sense. Well, I feel like I could talk to you all day, but I'm not going to take up the rest of your day. So I'd love to jump to the lightning round questions. So can you tell me what book has greatly influenced you? The Power of Now was the one that I think had a very pivotal framework and mindset change for me. And, and that specifically was around, A, addressing a lot of the fears that you have and the need for perfection, but being like, my natural inclination is to plan. Like I, in order to optimize, you've got to create a plan. So I understood how my brain worked, but I also knew I needed to control it in a way that allowed it to manage my anxiety or stress. And so for me, it was a, it was a critical book for me to read, to be able to aim, I think, make those pivotal changes in my life, but just be a little bit more like content. Do you have a favorite quote or saying? So have couple. So one in mine growing up was my mom was like, leave, leave everything better than you found it. And so I do think I've left, I've led that through most of my life, which is just be able to, to help when you can. And certainly optimize to the extent, because that sounds like too businessy, but ensure that you are adding value. 
In addition, there was this quote, I can't remember, I think it was G.I. Joe. You're now armed with knowledge and now you've got to do better. And so in many ways, living in a naive space is comfortable and you can live without worry. But there is basically a level of responsibility with knowledge that is that you need to own and that you need to be able to manage and be able to evolve with. It also helps and guides the whole conversation that I mentioned earlier, which is just if knowledge is your currency, it makes everything else framed a little bit easier to, to manage because you ultimately are like, I'll always be learning even if I'm falling flat on my face. There's something to be learned there. How about a moniker or handle that you would use to describe yourself? Synthesized curiosity is what I've evolved to. I would say I was very curious and I've always been very curious, but what I've attained is my ability to get real deep, but also come back up and be able to synthesize it. What's one change or habit that you've adopted that's changed your life? I just recently adopted a cold plunge, which I highly recommend if anyone's not doing that. I did it once when I was in Finland uh, many years ago, and then to put it into more practice and doing it on a regular basis. There's a misconception around stress. And I think a lot of people, my family included, have been like, you've got too much on your plate, you're too stressed out. And I think everybody has different levels of stress that they can manage. I think it's important, in particular our survival as humans, but generally is creating stress in your life and having it be manageable. You create new habits in order to support the stress and the load that you have. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that as you are evolving and you have to continually evolve, you have to reflect constantly on whether your support of yourself is, is in line with your continuation of stress. And so what I have tried not to do is just add more things to my plate because that is unsustainable, to be quite honest with you. So there's a need for prioritization to be able to focus on the things that you enjoy and being focused in on that. I like to create stresses in my life that are not even fun to overcome, but just more, the outcome is far less impactful in the sense of you're not going to go down. Like no one's going to know you failed at it, or it's not that detrimental to your own security in life or your belief in your capabilities. So this cold plunge is, it's cold. You're going into 40 degree weather or 40 degree uh, temperature water, and you have to stay for a period of time. And I am inherently like a cat. I like to be in like warm spots at all times. And so I have found that creating the stress in my life and my body the way it like elicits and overcoming it creates this like short-term high in the sense of, oh my God, look at that. I did it. And unfortunately now I'm like starting to challenge myself to do it longer and longer. But, but I think finding things like that allow you to feel stress without overwhelming your are key. And so there's different things for different people, but that's just one that well recently has, has worked for me. That's cool. I love it. I think I just add more things to my plate. So that was instructive for me. <laughs> uh, okay. Last one is what's your power song? What's your walk up song? Oh, so this is probably more information in history than you probably. So I grew up with a, quite a few brothers who all played ice hockey throughout my entire life. And I, so I played ice, men's ice hockey until I was like 15 women's ice hockey, and then I also played lacrosse, soccer, et cetera. And so one of the hype songs that I feel like anybody who grew up in that world will be familiar with is Black Betty. And so it's, I think, is one of those, and it's so ingrained in my heritage and how I like think about being hyped up. 
that that would probably be the song that I would pick. Tamara, thank you so much. This has just been a total joy to get to know you a little bit. And thanks for sharing all the things that make you go. I know it's going to be hugely valuable for our audience and it's just wonderful for me. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Beyond Barriers podcast. There are thousands of podcasts out there and we are so grateful that you've chosen to listen to ours. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and tell a friend or share what you've learned on LinkedIn and tag us. We love hearing from our audience. Visit us at gobeyondbarriers.com where you can subscribe and find show notes, links, and the best way to connect with our guests.